Ladies and gentlemen, in the last two days, you have been put into a crucible of fire. You have been tested under pressure and heat, and you have come out as pure titanium. It was definitely mind-blowing. Amazing experience. I've never been to anything like it. You can wake you up. It's sparking fire. Going full force ahead, following exactly what RJ said. This is the kind of program you want to go to if you want to bring a business to the next level. We want you to be a part of the titanium family. Steve Trang, go ahead and say hello to the people. Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. We got the podcast, obviously. Uh, sales trainer, um, wholesaler, flipper, um, and uh, recently bought a bank. That's the, the the newest toy at the moment. Ooh, light flex. Bought a bank. One point for Steve already. <laughs> <laughs> RJ Bates, next to you. after Back after a one-week hiatus. We missed you last week, man. Right. The people's champ is back in the house. Uh, good to be here. Hey, real quick to all of Steve's followers, all of CJ's followers, and to Eric's wife, Sonia. Please follow me on TikTok. There's a ton of humor there. I'm hilarious. And especially for all of Steve's followers, I know you're not used to experiencing humor, so please go follow me on TikTok. <laughs> well, welcome back. We're excited to have you back. And yes, go follow RJ on TikTok, all right? <laughs> Uh, oh man! Next up, we have man who I got to finally meet in person yesterday, Eric Brewer. Say hello to everybody. What's up, everybody? I'm excited to be today. I actually just flew back from Steve's headquarters yesterday. Landed at about 5:30 a.m. Um, so I will continue to completely disrespect everybody else on this panel, even though I'm only at like 50% capacity today, and I slept 45 minutes. Um, I'll still sort of show these guys how it should be done. And um, unlike RJ, I don't have an entire team of VAs logged in right now, ready to vote for me. And he still only gets second most of the time. With all of that <laughs> put into it, but it's all so fun. And by the way, no hockey jersey today, which is a change for him. So wherever he was last week, he's come back uh, a, a new man. And uh, I like it. I do. I do like the T. I like the crew neck. Yeah, he's got that uh, Paul Wall branded, right? People's champ. <laughs> I like that. All right. And last but certainly not least, my man CJ. How's everything going, man? Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Good to be back. Uh, excited. I'm glad to have RJ here. I'm glad to have Eric here. Glad to have Steve here. I'm coming off a nice victory last week, uh, giving some great takes. Excited to do it again. Chris Jefferson, Charles University. I uh, do everything in real estate, probably too much. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm glad to be back. Glad to get another win this week, man. Let's rock and roll. There we go. There we go. Welcome back, everybody. And yes, like CJ said, he was last week's champion. So let's see if he can repeat this week. Uh, for those who are tuning in for the first time, the way the program works is we give each contestant about 45 seconds to answer a uh, select few questions that we have. Uh, after that point, the floor then opens for them to argue with each other, rebuttal each other. I instigate a little bit and try to help out in that sense. Uh, and then we pick a winner at the end of the show. 
during each round, you get the opportunity to vote. So stay active in the chat. Make sure you submit your questions because the last question that we ask is actually a viewer submitted question. So with that being said, gentlemen, you ready for question number one? Let's go. All right. If your real estate business does about three to five deals at the average of $10,000 per month assignment fee, what's going to be your personal strategy for the next month or 12 months? I'm sorry. Uh, let's start with Chris Jefferson. Yeah, I love the question. You know, I think we've gotten to a space where everybody thinks you have to go out and have a $100,000 a month wholesale business and all these different things. What I like about this is if you're doing $50,000, let's just say a month from wholesaling, to me, that's a really good, strong business that's bringing in some solid cash on a monthly basis. My strategy with that would be very, very simple. I would be out attacking seller finance opportunities. So I'd be looking for absentee homeowners that are of 60 plus age. Uh, that have uh, free and clear property, and I'd be offering seller financing to them. I'd be using the money that's coming in on a monthly basis. So I have the opportunity to make down payments, opportunity to make my monthly payments, and I'd be wrapping the financing on those and creating win opportunities by doing that. I'd also be using it for sub two opportunities. We're in a falling market right now. So as pre foreclosures become opportunities, the reinstatement cost for loans, the, to, the closing cost for loans to get these sub two opportunities to the closing table where you then can have control of that property, that money coming from your wholesale business can be used for that. So we're at a period where stop using wholesale money to live off of, start using some of that wholesale money to reinvest to create some passive income. Was that a 45 second buzzer or was that like a two minute buzzer? It, it was a 45 second-ish buzzer. All right. You know? You, so, the champ has to get some grace. That was like, that was like Eric Brewer-like buzzer. <laughs> no, 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 I, I had a request to cut back on the buzzering. So, you know, I got played across the board. <laughs> Uh, let's go over to Eric Brewer and let's get your thoughts on it. Um, so I think that's, uh, I would agree with like most of what Chris said, except you heard him say he does everything in real estate. I think what's really difficult for a lot of folks like us, um, it may be difficult for us to remember what it was like to do two to three deals a month at type, that type of revenue. If you're doing three to five deals a month and making 50 grand, I don't know that I would change a lot. What I would be aware of is what about my existing business is no longer going to be profitable or as easy as it was before. And I would be selective about choosing maybe one of the things that Chris talked about. So I do think what you got to do is start to take your profits and reinvest it and learn how to make money when you sleep. But I would be very careful trying to do six different things at one time when you're doing one right now that's making you five, six hundred thousand dollars a year. Stay to your core and maybe plug in one thing. And I would say sub two or novations would be a likely addition to your already relatively successful business. Okay. All right. RJ Bates. Yeah. I, I'm going to mirror what Eric said there. I, I think if you're, if you're averaging somewhere between 35 to $50,000 a month, I think you need to stay laser focused on your wholesaling business because you're, you're not great at it there, there yet. You know I mean? Uh, to go out and kind of mingle and other different things like seller financing and creative financing. Yeah, I think maybe you can add that tool to your tool belt, but you still need to be wholesaling those before you're taking it down and you try to become, you know, the bank when you're seller financing or become a landlord or something along those lines. I think you still need to stay laser focused on becoming a great wholesaler before you shift your attention to something else. Uh, I think, yeah, there's going to be opportunities where creative finance is going to be more available to us over the next 12 months. But I think you just need to stay laser focused. All right. And quick Steve Trang, let's I must go ahead. say on RJ's behalf, that was a very quick buzzer. 
by the way. That was a 27-second buzzer. <laughs> Where, where, man, is the camera on me? Is the camera on me? Can we switch the show? We are actually at 46.79 seconds, okay? <laughs> I will not have my uh, my stopwatch skills be questioned live on air. <laughs> Steve, let's go ahead and conclude with you. Uh, so my answer is going to be totally self-serving. Um, you know, if, you get, if you're doing three to five deals a month consistently, you're doing something right as far as marketing, right? So, I mean, obviously, we all want to do 10-plus deals a month at some point, but three to five deals a month is actually pretty consistent uh so i think the things you need to look at is increasing your margins and so i would look at a couple of different options i'd say first and foremost i say sales training i think you know being able to increase your margins from ten thousand to 15 20 25 000 is the first thing you want to look at second thing is i think that you know eric was on the show yesterday we we're talking about the brewer method innovations i think that's another option uh to increase your margins. so i would say focus on your margins not necessarily more business but increasing your margins and that's, that's sales skills. So again, totally self-serving, but I think that's probably where you need to spend your efforts at the moment before spending more money. Okay. All right, gentlemen, the floor is now open for everyone in the chat. The voting is now also open. So whoever you agreed with the most, go ahead and cast your vote for them and let's argue my favorite time, my favorite part. Of this. I, so here's I, the thing I would say, the great thing about three to five deals is it's only three to five deals. You probably don't have a ton of employees, a ton of overhead but you're also only three deals away from zero. That's, that's a scary thing about only doing three deals to me. The cool part is it's low aggravation, low overhead. The scary part is you're three deals away from not having a business. So to Steve's point, I think what you can see is margins. If you were operating at 10K, that 10K could have been wiped out by the market. You better learn how to buy deeper and you might only do one or two deals in, in the next 12 to 24 months. So if they're $25,000 deals, you're way ahead of the game. I, I didn't know that we're allowed to just do a sales pitch on our programs as our Steve. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Uh, I, was, Man, I, I, was, I was originally going to say another thing, too, is just surrounding yourself with the right people, right? Like, you know, if you got that kind of revenue, you could be joining a high-quality mastermind, uh, surrounding yourself with people that are, A, you know, doing the things you want to do, or B, have experienced a slowdown before, right? Has experienced a you know, whatever this reimagined recession we have, right? Like that's gone through something like this before. Uh, th there's a couple of other options as well. But yes, thank you, RJ, for the permission to to sell my own stuff. Hey, look, so I don't, I don't, I don't think this concept or thought that you have to be a great wholesaler to do more than five deals is as big a deal as you guys are making it. Wholesaling is literally just for active cash. It's just to make cash. Like it's not this big, great thing. You know, it's a great opportunity to make money. I think what I'm trying to get the message across to people is, is that we're entering a unique opportunity where you can build out assets. If you've got a business that's bringing in revenue of let's just say 50,000 a month, let's just say you're taking out of that to pay yourself 10,000 a month and you're keeping 40,000 a month inside your business, your business now has $40,000 worth of cash on a monthly basis, all right, or roughly, where you can then reinvest that money into some long-term asset opportunities. For every five deals that come in, if you take one off the table and don't wholesale it, you keep that as a buy and hold, you keep that as a seller finance, that means every year you're going to bring 12 properties onto your books. It's going to bring you some long-term passive opportunities. So I don't know that you got to be the great wholesaler to try to accomplish that. I think we're at a period now where we're entering in where people can really build some true wealth. And we got to speak to that point for sure. I think you're absolutely right. Um, so Jason Medley is someone that he runs CG and someone I, I look up to a lot. And one thing he says is that the best way to generate great cash flow is to make a lot of active income. So I think that Absolutely, CJ. The reason why we got into this business was to have passive income. 
but I think it's a lot easier to have passive income if we can increase our active income first. Hundred percent, I do agree with you on that. You know, we we have to have active income in place first. You know, a lot of people make that mistake to your point, Steve, where they try to chase, and I think that's what y'all were all saying, right? They'll try to go chase passive and active at the same time. You truly do need to build active income first and have a, a strong, solid baseline of active income before you really start pursuing passive income. Because if not, you'll end up getting into trouble somewhere down the line where you need money that you just won't have consistently coming in. Hey, Eric, I'm going to uh, call you out on my team's behalf. We need you in the middle of the camera. Yes, please. He already said thank you because I moved to the middle, dude. It was four minutes ago. <laughs> I know, but then you moved back. It's <laughs> uh, plugged in. I hate the buzzer beat your uh, positioning, but it's going to get one. We'll get you We'll get you shifted whenever we can. Um, that'll conclude the first round. The first question, it looks like RJ Bates comes back with a big round one win. 45% of the voting goes to RJ Bates. Welcome back, man. Welcome back. What did he even Thank say? Thank you to all my VAs. <laughs> <laughs> Vote yeah. gate is alive and well. Yeah, everyone. so the first thing you do is you go buy a bunch of VAs. <laughs> that's, that's the answer <laughs> to that first question. Well, it's, it's funny you say that, Steve, because uh, our second question is actually, uh, are the use of VAs worth being in our sales departments, yay or nay? Only sales departments, not in the YouTube chats. So let's go ahead and start with RJ. Uh, absolutely not. I, I use VAs only for lead generation. So if you consider that part of your sales pro process, sure. But no, I, for me, I'm going to say it's lead generation only. I only use them for cold calling specifically. Um, and the reason why is because I make it very simple. It's a part of our system where they know exactly what we're asking the sellers. They know their job. They know how to perform it very well. They're quick and efficient with it. And then all right, once it hits the sales team, which is inside of our office, that's where the closing takes place. It's, it's, we can touch it. We can see it. We can smell it. It's easy for us to control. I don't think that should be something that you outsource to a virtual assistant. Uh, not that they don't have the skill set, but I just think it's harder for you to manage overall as a business owner. All right. That was Let's 45 see. seconds, Weasel. That, that was pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. I was going to give you a couple extra seconds, too. Champ gets a few extra seconds, but you didn't need it. Let's go over to uh, Chris Jefferson. He played second place in the last round. So, CJ, let's go hear your thoughts. Yeah, 100%. I, I like a VA in the sales process. I'm going to disagree a little bit with RJ, even though I think he's saying the exact same thing. I do think having a VA at lead gen on the front end of your sales process is really important. I think if you can afford to do that. You know, having somebody that can go out and create a prospect is really what it is. So somebody can create a prospect that can then get over to somebody in your team that can qualify that person as a lead, I think is really important. If you've got 100,000 records to sift through, having a VA that can help work through some of that or multiple VAs, I think is super important to the front end of your sales process because it, it is scalable and creates a time opportunity. So I 100% would like to have a VA focus on prospecting and lead generation on the front end of the process. All right, with five seconds left to go, not bad. Uh, Steve Trang, your 45 seconds. I like what uh, uh, RJ and CJ said, but I look at the VAs that are cold calling. I don't look at that as a sales process. I look at that as a marketing process, right? I think if the VAs are cold calling a list, people that weren't ready for the call, I consider that marketing. I treat those the same quality as a, a direct mail call or um, you know, a, another form of marketing, right? Like the texting. So um, as far as the sales process, I would consider the lead manager, and the sales uh, uh, acquisition manager, I would consider those the sales roles. And in those seats, I think you should not have a VA. Um, I think you're looking at the tonality, the conversation, building the rapport. 
I think these are all integral parts of the sales process. And I think where I see this a lot is with a lead manager that's virtual. This person was suspicious when they called your direct mail piece, when they called you from PPC, when they called you from TV. And the very first touch is an overseas voice. I think that's setting up red flags, and I think that's going to harm your conversion. Okay. Okay. A few seconds over, but I won't penalize you. It's all right. Give you a couple, boss. Uh, Eric Brewer, let's go ahead with uh, your thoughts. 100% agree. I think VAs are great for lead generation. Um, and I think a little bit of what Chris is saying, right, is that, that, that the beginning of the sales process is really the end of the marketing process. So if you can find a sweet spot where the VA is transferring a potential opportunity to your sales staff and they're able to sift through a bunch of records, that's good. Um, I think one of the reasons we put VAs on cold calling is historically, stateside employees will do it three days before they burn out and quit. We've actually started having our in-house ISAs only doing 90 minutes of cold calling per day. And we found that they're actually able to get five times the results that VAs were able to get. And by capping it at 90 minutes a day, they stay energized. They don't get burned out. Love VAs for lead gen should be that 10,000 miles away from anything sales related. Perfect timing. 45 seconds even. And thank you for fixing the camera positioning, sir. We appreciate you on this side. All right, guys, the voting is now open in the chat. And gentlemen, do we disagree or agree with each other? It's not like we most, mostly agreed, unfortunately. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think. No, go, Steve. Well, again, I just wanted to emphasize, right? Like, I think that cold calling, uh, the way we look at cold calling is just another marketing piece, right? Because the VAs is calling a list that's unsolicited and they're raising their hands. And all we're looking for is someone to say, I'm interested in selling. Even if they say, you know, I'll sell for some ridiculous price. Then the lead manager gets to start selling appointments. Right, that's that's the role of the lead manager. Now they're selling, but uh, the VA, their sole job is to just get people to raise their hands, which is the same thing as direct mail, which is the same thing as PPC, which is the same thing as TV. Yeah, I think I think the point is for people to make sure to understand the purpose and role of a VA is not to manage the entire sales process, not to do the entire sales process, not to run or manage your entire business. I think the industry has gotten to a point where a lot of people believe that you should rely too much on a VA. And really a VA is just really for basic, simple front end prospecting so they can cure up an opportunity for your team. So when I say an opportunity, I mean a lead that then somebody in that sales process, whether it's an acquisitions person, what have you, has the ability to then go close that. The industry has gotten very VA heavy. A lot of people think that they need a VA to run their entire business and that's just not the case. So I think we're all kind of saying that at the same time. And the big risk is if, you can, if you're having a VA start closing your deals, man, like we spend so much money to, to get people to raise their hands. And every time we miss a sale, that's costing us tens of thousands of dollars. So don't look at the cost of the VA. Look at what's costing you and lost revenue by having a VA try to close your deals. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody should have a VA trying to do a close call whatsoever. If you've got a VA trying to close a lead for you uh, by phone, I think you're you're making a grave mistake in your business right now, for sure. Well, I do we know anybody in this industry? We're all very well connected. Do we know anybody that's using VAs to actually close deals that runs high volume? I mean, I, I no. guess the one that I hear talking about the most is is Carlos. Yeah, but I think the tough part about that though, RJ, is that a lot of people who are newer that might see some of this information, they they don't know to how to decipher that. They just say, Hey, get a pre-trained VA, put them on the phone, they can call sellers for you and close. Da 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 da. And so what we're really all kind of all saying is, hey, there's just to this process. 
and the VA shouldn't be involved in that entire step, right? They just really Absolutely. are needed, whether it's marketing, prospecting, whatever, they're only needed really on that front end of your process. Yeah. So, so RJ, to your, to your question, high, high volume, I don't know anyone doing like, uh, I, I don't know, you know, with certainty high volume, but I do know a handful of people that are using VA strictly for closing. And it is a higher, it, it, for them, it's a higher profitable business. Um, I just don't know if that business is, is a model that I would want representing my company. Okay. All right. Looks like that's going to conclude the answers for the second question. As the voting finalizes, it looks like CJ took round two. So CJ's on the board. Uh, and we are now 1-1, RJ Bates and CJ. Let's go. question of the day. And CJ, we will start with you. In real estate, would you rather be a big fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond? So I'll say this as someone who's been a big fish in single family houses, right? In a little pond uh, for quite some time. I would a thousand and ten percent pick to be a little fish in a big pond every single time. All right. And, and I, let me explain just by mere proximity opportunity increases. You can do the exact same amount of business. You can be at a RIA meeting and talk to somebody in a bigger city with bigger opportunities. It means bigger revenue and virtual wholesaling, virtual closing. I mean, there's so many different ways to do business in other places without having to be there. I think we're all testaments to that. So I 110% would want to be a little fish in a big pond because I think that will create more opportunity for me in the long run by far. All right, let's jump over to Eric Brewer and get your thoughts. Yeah, I think it, it, you'll, you'll go through different seasons when you start. Like um, when I started, I'm in a relatively small market in Pennsylvania. We got 400,000 people in our county. Um, so I just didn't have much competition. It was easier for me to sort of gain traction without having big competition. But I think you get to a phase in your business when you actually have good systems and processes and you have the ability to be able to convert. In my market, like if we make $30,000 on a $100,000 house, that's a lot. When you go to some of these higher end markets where the values are three and five times, if I get the same discount in that market, I make $100,000. So I think when you start, it feels safe. It feels easier to start off as a little fish in a little pond. But eventually, once you get good, you should probably move to an area where you're going to get a higher return on each and every one of those transactions. So I think it's different when you start versus when you get to a place to where you have a sustainable business and then you should look at going into a bigger market where you can have bigger reps all right uh steve train let's jump over to you uh for me i would rather be a little fish in a big pond i mean just it, by nature that's what we're doing in phoenix right uh, i think there's just so much opportunity uh, if you look at our avatar right is avatar someone that's going through distress and traditionally or historically two percent of the population is always in some sort of distress right so two percent of a population of six million people there's so much freaking opportunity so for me, I want to be a little fish in a big pond. The other thing is if I was a big fish in a little pond, man, like your radar, you're on, you're on everyone's radar. You're a constant target, right? Like everyone's attacking open door right now for a reason, right? So I would rather be a smaller fish in a big market. There's plenty of opportunity. Our margin, we run a very high margin business. There's so much upside being a small fish in a big market. All righty. And let's conclude with RJ Bates. Yeah, I want to be, obviously, I'm the nationwide guy, so I want to be a little fish in a, in a big pond here. I mean, I, for, for me, it's about opportunity, okay? I want as much opportunity to be available to my team 
and my company and my legacy as possible. So that's why I've opened up every possible door that we can with being in that big pond. And, and I, I don't want to say it's the wrong way for someone that disagrees, but there is a portion of being the big fish in the little pond that's slightly just being ego. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you're limiting your, your opportunities. And at some point in time, if you are the big fish in a little pond, don't you want to say, I've maxed out my, my potential here. I've got to go to a bigger pond. And so then you're just going back to why I'm so strong about my answer. All right. Everybody in the chat, the voting is now open. And gentlemen, the floor is open. Yeah, I love what RJ just said. Uh, because, I mean, I can speak to it as somebody who's in a smaller market. I know Eric's in a smaller market, I think, as well. But look, for me personally, man, like RJ is 100% right on the fact that you cap out, right? Like, so the scope of work, you know, the, the SOPs, all these things cap out just by proximity of opportunity. I could take my existing business as it is right now. And I'm in the middle of doing this personally myself, right? Like I'm looking at multiple cities to possibly move to right now that are big markets for the simple fact that I could take the same, the same people, the same effort, the same energy and place it somewhere else and make more revenue, create more opportunity for myself in the future. And so, you know, we have to realize how, how involved the internet is and in what we're doing now, how flexible you can really be and how many places you could be at once with proper systems and process to Eric's point earlier. This is like talking about masterminds. You don't want to be the smartest guy in the room because then you're in the wrong room. It's the same thing here for me. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be the biggest guy. In hey, guys. I got to go. <laughs> I'm the smartest guy in the room. So time for me to sign off. Best advice I've got for all week. Thank you, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> After all these weeks, I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> That was that was well played. That was well played. My my personal experience was this: I was I became a big fish in a small pond, and now what we've been able to do is I can move into different markets, use probably seventy five percent of the staff that we have here, what we call our you know our hub. If we decide to go into a different market. I may only hire one or two people in that particular market, and I'm able to be much more nimble and bounce around from different markets based on what's hot. Um, you know, where the trends are, um, where I'm able to generate, you know, low hanging fruit from from easy deal flow. And um, I, I think there's 100 percent a lot of validity to what Chris and RJ said is like, if you're going to do the work, you might as well plan on succeeding. And if you're going to succeed in an eight to 10 million person market, um, that just looks a lot different than succeeding in a market that's got 300,000 people. And then to RJ's point about going nationwide, I totally respect everything he's done. I think one thing to be careful, because we've seen a lot of our friends try to do this nationwide uh, wholesale and nationwide PPC thing. And now they're kind of freaking out because they got a bunch of properties on the contract that in a shifting market, they don't know how to handle it. So uh, I, I love what RJ's done. I would say for everyone else that's listening, proceed with caution if you decide to go that route, because I, I don't think it's as easy uh, as it appears on social media. Well, I'm a minnow in an ocean. We're talking about being a, a small fish in a, or, or, you know what I'm saying, small pond. I mean, I'm not recommending do what we do, but I am recommending that, you know, hey, if you're in a small market and everyone knows you and you're the guy, yeah, maybe it's time to look to, to go elsewhere to expand your opportunities. But, you know, listening to you in Closes Olympics, RJ, you're not like, you know, I'm RJ based the third, look me up in Dallas. Like that was part of your pitch. Right. Being yeah. the big yeah. fish in there, or at least a noticeable fish 
in your market. That's, that's utilizing the brand, though. I mean, that's a that's a different story in this. I mean, when, when we're talking to a seller in Maine, they have no idea who Titanium Investments and RJ Bates is. And, and neither do any of the buyers. Now, we're getting there as we're going along, but I, I still think it's just going back to the opportunity. Real quick, too, I think a lot of people scare out of big markets. I know I deal with a lot of people as students who are brand new to the business. And the thoughts of being in the Phoenixes and the San Diegos or LAs or even just other big markets can be pretty daunting. But what you got to realize, you take somewhere like RJ's Dallas Fort Worth area, Frisco is the size of a mid, a small mid sized city in itself, right? So you can go to some of these big markets and you can pick surrounding counties or counties kind of within that radius. And you can do some tremendous business there without feeling so overwhelmed like it's some huge, huge city where you can't do business because there's all these big players. There's so much money in a Phoenix, Arizona for people to make. It's absolutely insane. All right. I just want to know that Weasel always allows the voting to go long enough for CJ to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have to regulate some sort of way. You know, when you got 70% of the votes during introductions and we haven't even asked a question, I got to find a way to balance that. It's just my job. Uh, it looks like the voting is closing right now and it actually is going to end in a tie. So you didn't lose, man. Oh, it didn't cost oh, you one. <laughs> RJ and CJ. Uh, you guys have both tied with 40%. So um, I guess technically you both get a point. That works out. So we're two. No, two. they both get zero. They both get zero. That's what we agree. That's what that's, that's I'm going to give rules. the point to Eric Brewer because I think the smartest man in the room deserves the most points. <laughs> so I, I point, for, point for Brewer. Um, all right. Question, question number four. I got you, man. I got you. In sales, who puts in the first offer, you or the seller? Let's start with Eric Brewer. So I think a hot topic, um, a lot of people, and there's some outdated um, teaching out there that would say, get their offer first. If you're familiar with sales, there's something called price anchoring that is rooted in human behavior. I think if you allow the, the, the seller to give you their number first, it's going to scare you away from giving a true price anchor and starting as low as you possibly should. Uh, I'll, I'll allow the seller to suggest maybe what they were thinking, but I really don't factor it in to my negotiating, I'm gonna drop a price anchor. I've often said in my sales process with our people, you wanna have a sales process that earns you the right to start negotiations with an insulting offer. And if you allow the seller to give you an offer to begin with, it's gonna make it harder for that sales rep to really, really start low. So I prefer to, to, to set the, the, the tone and start low um, without any apologies about why I'm starting there. And uh, I prefer to give the first number and maybe that's not so popular, but I have a lot of success with. All right, let's jump to Steve. So uh, I have a slightly different approach. I think RJ, uh, I think Eric just called my approach the old approach. Uh, but I like to have the seller uh, uh, start with the offer, and the reason why is that they have to earn our business, right? I think the idea is they think we're coming over to buy their house with our money, but they have to earn our money with their house, right? They gotta buy our money. It's not the other way around. So they've got to earn our money and so we have them give us their number and we'll tell them if we're interested or not and then we're going to have them negotiate against themselves so we don't really negotiate between their offer and our offer we're asking them to negotiate against themselves and then we'll figure out if that's a price we want to pay now if we do that and it doesn't work then we're going to give the insulting offer but it's not our offer it's like you know these low ballers like eric brewer they're paying between x and y 
and then have them get triggered by that, and then we'll negotiate from there. But we start off with the seller making their offer first. Steve, I want to compliment the chess move. Sending a shot after he's answered. So that's that's an A one. I have no so. idea what he just said. Like I, I don't, I don't. They're selling their own house and using my money, and I don't. I, I, don't, I don't know what just happened. It's there, called but I'm not error. signing anything. I'm just not signing anything. I don't know what just happened. It's called chess. You'll understand one day. All right, let's go jump over to uh, I'm more CJ. of a backgammon guy. So I'm I'm a I'm a mix of both Eric and Steve. So I'll tell you the right way to do this. So it's all framing, right? So I believe in the price anchor method. But the thing about dropping a price anchor is the the front end of your conversation with a seller should be to get property information, should get the timeline information, motivation information. From there, we're going to give out a price anchor. We already know that's going to be a super low offer, so we're going to frame that price anchor in a way where that decision-making is not on us, it's on our finance manager. This is what we're able to do right now. What information can I get from you so that I can go back to my finance manager and have the opportunity to increase my offer? Because we already know they're not gonna accept that first throwout. But you guys have been on the phones, you guys are talking to sellers, you see that sellers are not gonna give you some sort of asking price. You know, One way we try to pull that if we can is we'll ask the seller, hey, what do you think the property is currently worth based on all the information you've given me so far? That's generally gonna be their asking price but that's how we like to back into that is with a clear line price anchor opportunity and setup. All right. And last but not least, RJ Bates. I can clearly tell why I'm the king closer. <laughs> you guys are, are absolutely terrible at this. Um, I, I personally think that the lead generation factor plays into this. If I'm cold calling someone and I'm asking to buy their house, I think I need to be the person that makes an offer on that. If it's a PPC lead and they came to us, then they need to tell me what their asking price is on that property. Majority of the time though, I'm going to want them to throw the anchor in the water first. So to Eric's point, he's talking about anchoring them there. I want the seller to anchor me. I want them to say, hey, I'm at 100,000 because that tells me they're willing to accept 90,000 right out the gates. If I say 75,000 out the gates, they know they can get me up to 85, 90,000. That's just human nature. They're automatically going to think that. And those are just rough example of numbers. I don't want Eric to chew me up and spit me out on those. But I, I think that the lead generating factor plays into the who makes the offer first. Okay. The voting is now open for the chat. And gentlemen, the floor is yours. I do want to bring, actually, I want to circle back to Steve and Eric Brewer's conversation to begin the round. Because it looks like there was a little bit of disagreement with that one. I mean, I think at, at the end of the day, um, like when RJ is talking about, I'm going to hit them at 70 and close at 90, like I close them at 55. So if you want to close five grand below their number, then use his philosophy. If you want to buy stuff and make 75 grand on a $50,000 house, which isn't even really possible if you do the math, then use my approach, right? He's saying, I'm going to start at 70 so I can land at 75. Like that's not negotiating. That's just, that's just playing. Um, so when you start the price anchor, if you have the marbles to hit them at 40% of what you think you might be able to pay, I think you'd be surprised at where people would end up. Um, and I don't treat people differently based on the lead source they came from. I'm going to take control of the process and speak with confidence and say, hey, I've seen properties like this being sold for thirty-five dollars to $37,000. I'm going to find out what their number is as soon as I give them a number to respond to. Right. So 
Plus, the other thing I would say is if that works well for RJ, then that's what he should continue to do. Everybody has their own style. My personal preference is I don't want to be put back on my heels because the seller gave me a number that sounds really high and then not have the confidence to go in at really what I want to pay. Yeah, I think the again, like the approach, right? And I think there's, I think there's, you know, uh, um, respect. There's a, a, a sound methodology for each one of our approaches, right? Again, for us, we're looking to have the seller negotiate against themselves. We're having the sellers, uh, we're, we're positioning, like we don't have to buy your house, right? Like I said earlier, we're in a big pond. Like there are literally tens of thousands of people that need their seller house right now. Why should I buy your house? Why, you know, you've got to close me and I'm the one that's looking to see if this is the house I want to buy. And that's the positioning that we use. So that's the reason why we have the seller make the offer first. And if they make an offer that we don't like, we're telling them no versus us making the offer and them telling us no. So that's, that's our approach. That's our methodology. That's the, the uh, reasoning behind it. Here, here's the thing. I don't like negotiating with sellers. We don't pride ourselves on our ability to negotiate. We pride ourselves on our ability to buy their distressed properties. So when I'm calling them, I'm trying to solve their problem by buying their real estate. And so to Eric's point, you're right. I'm not negotiating with them. I'm having them sell me their house. And that's why I like what Steve was talking about, where he says, they're earning the right to get my money. They're selling me their house. And you can watch time and time and time again where I've done it, where I don't bring up a number. I have them tell me the number and then I agree to it. And I'm not hitting them. I'm not poking them in the eyeball. I'm just getting it where I need it. And I know that and I get them there through my sales techniques. I don't think there's anything wrong with poking people in the eyeballs. If that's what you got to do, like that's, don't feel bad about it. I don't want I don't want Eric to be on an island by himself right now because I I me him and I it sounds like have very similar sales processes. I think you can do all the things that you Steve and RJ are saying, but I think you can also control the dynamic of the conversation. You can control it by dropping a price anchor, knowing that they're not going to accept the price anchor, but framing it in a way where you can use that as an opportunity to start the negotiation process. Now, RJ, I know you don't like to negotiate. Steve, I know you do like to negotiate. But I, I think you have to negotiate in this business. I think you have to negotiate and you can still help a seller by doing so. But you got to control the process. Price anchors work time and time again, man. I think that's the way to go about it. For yeah. Sure. And I think, again, just for emphasis, like the way we like to do this, when we anchor, we're never the bad guy, right? As these other low ballers, this is where they're at, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, what would you say if, you know, someone made you uh, an offer in that range? So we may put the number out first if they refuse to give out a number. But it's never our offer. It's just like, um, you know, everyone thinks that whoever says the number first loses. So we'll say a stupid low number and see how they react to that. So, CJ, just to clarify, you're saying all of your newer wholesalers that are coming in, they should be making the offer before the seller gives them a price. Yes, man. Listen, you can you can work through conversation with the seller and try to pull an asking price from them when I teach my students how to do that. But what you can very easily do is this, RJ. I can have a conversation with you and I can drop a price anchor knowing that you won't accept it. If my target buy point is 70,000, I start my price anchor with you at 50,000. But in that conversation, I'm letting you know very clearly, hey, RJ, this isn't my offer. I don't even get paid, RJ, unless this deal closes. I want to work with you today to figure out how we can close this together. Right now, I'm approved to give you an offer at $50,000, but I think your property is worth much more than that. How can we figure out how to get to the right number and what makes sense for you and as it makes sense for us and as a win-win situation so we can move this deal to closing? And then you start that negotiation process 
But I want to set that realistic expectation up front that, hey, you might want 100, but I'm all the way down here at 40. We're going to have to talk a little bit and get this figured out, especially right now in a falling market. You're going to have to have the ability to be able to do this and drive lower numbers more and more. Hey, Chris, well, do you get So I think one way to do that that's sort of in line with what Steve said is rather than an offer, make a suggestion or an observation, right? right. I've seen, we, we have public auctions in Pennsylvania, real popular here. So one of the things we'll do is we'll go, hey, a lot of times we find ourselves at auctions bidding on properties a lot like yours. And at an auction, you have someone that's a high bidder and then you have the seller like yourself that has the right to say no thank you if they're not happy with the offer. I attend a lot of those auctions and I see people that are normally the high bidder on a property like this around $60,000, $65,000. If you were selling your house at auction that day, would that be no deal? Or would you try and maybe lean into that and, and, and see if you couldn't maybe make that deal work with a buyer? So I think that the good way is, because let's face it, it's easy for us to say, negotiate against themselves, price anchor, all that stuff. But particularly when you're doing virtual, like RJ can get hung up on in a split second if they don't like what he has to say. So he's got to be delicate about how he moves in that offer situation so he doesn't blow a good deal trying to get a great deal. So I like making a suggestion or an observation, sort of like what Chris is saying is like, I think these numbers are sort of like this for other people and homeowners, but I'm not real sure if that lines up with what you were hoping for. So don't make a firm offer and then lose the ability to come up if you decide to do that. Make a, make a suggestion about numbers that you think are in line with that style property and that location and then gauge their response and go from there. Well, last thing, Weasel, um, I, I just want to go back to I asked CJ that for, for a reason. And then Eric just wanted to talk for three minutes for no reason. Case <laughs> so, in point, I watched CJ. I'm going to give you some PTSD. Remember what happened to you at the Closers Olympics when you talked to that lady and you, you tried and you went. And then when you price anchored her, what happened? She hung up right in your face. She turned cold on you. Y'all tone changed. Her tone changed. No, 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 no. Now, now, listen, what happens to me is when I would have talked to that lady, I would have said, uh, are you still looking to sell that property? What's your asking price on that property? And what she would have told me, I could have dedicated three to four minutes from there to see if she was willing to come down. But as a new wholesaler, I'm going to be so much more efficient than you are. I'm going to be able to call so yeah. many more leads because you're going to sit there and, and keep going and they get hung up on when you price anchor them after you've built rapport and framed the question and all the mental mind bullshit that you try to do over 27 minutes. That's why I'm the king. Pat, eh, I'm the winner. Pat, <laughs> you're a buzzer real quick and then we'll, then we'll end this round. Go ahead with yeah, that. Yeah, hit them with the buzzer for sure. Because <laughs> uh, one thing I've learned, Weasel, is sometimes you got to let people that are wrong have, have – so everybody needs a moment in the sun. Everybody needs some vitamin D. And so let's let's just all pause for a second. Let's let RJ have this particular moment. I see the belt in the background. I'm debating still, RJ, if I want to come snatch it from you or not. Uh, but uh, I, I hear you. I hear you, and we'll let you have your soapbox for the moment. <laughs> all right, uh, great round. That was one of the best rounds I think so far of the show. Um, the voting is closing right now, and it looks like with 39 percent. RJ Bates edges out Chris Jefferson. RJ, I was trying to get, I, I was giving you the floor. I was giving you the extra time because of the voting comment. How much time were you going to give this guy, man? I mean, I was, <laughs> here's the big thing. It was over 80 live votes. So thank you for the chat and everyone that's tuning in for voting and being oh, so wow. interactive. So, so the VAs are strong great. today. Yeah, the VAs, they are here. They are in the chat. Vote gate is on some lead gen. <laughs> <laughs> They're on vote gen right now. <laughs> All right. That's the VAs in the lead gen for RJ's coaching program.
<laughs> Hilarious. Best, 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 best reply is I don't negotiate, and the guy just won the freaking round that was about <laughs> negotiating. Like, what, I, what, where is the credibility in this voting? I don't negotiate. I just close, baby. That's it. Holy no! You just accept their offer. That's not called Listen, closing. Eric, your wife voted for me. Okay, <laughs> over good. You should. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the last question. Uh, well, actually, the second to last question. The last question will be a submitted uh, question from the audience. So, uh, Steve, we're going to start with you on this one. What Avenger would you like to have on your team and why? So, I mean, I when, we're, when I was thinking about this earlier, I mentioned, you know, I'm on Team Thanos, but I was told I, was, I had to pick one of those three. So, of the three, I would pick uh, Iron Man. And the reason why is that our challenge is consistent execution, right? So having great systems, great processes, uh, you can have cons uh, high quality, consistent execution from top to bottom of the organization. You know, I think leadership is valuable. I think having a closer is great. Uh, but for us, you know, every time I got a new idea and we want to go implement, it always screws up, screws up something else, right? That's just kind of what we do as visionaries. So consistent execution with great systems and processes. That's why I would pick Iron Man. Okay. I just want to let you know also there's way more than three Avengers. Well, the title was we had to pick one of three. Um, I don't see that one. And also you pick the Avenger that's dead. So uh, it's okay. That was, that <laughs> he was a man that chases dreams. He was a man that chases dreams. <laughs> um, let's go over to Eric Brewer. What Avenger or which Avenger um, I should say would you have on your team? I was going to say Iron Man, but now I feel like a fool for agreeing with Tim <laughs> or Tim Steve. Um, it's just that just blew my mind. And I'm not sure how Iron Man has anything to do with systems and processes. Um, but maybe you can explain <laughs> that to me on a later show. Do not take my time because you were about to try and explain it during my 45 seconds. But I would probably just be the hawk. Um, I like the fact that he had sort of a, an itchy trigger finger and could lose his cool. Um, as leaders, we're often, we have to keep our cool all the time. So I'd like to have someone that just snaps every once in a while and throws cars across town. I think uh, it would feel good to be like one of those places where you can go swing a sledgehammer and beat a car up to let the uh, the stress and, and frustration out. So I, I would go with Hawk, but mainly just because I don't want to agree with Steve. All right. Uh, let's go over to RJ Bates. Which Avenger would you pick? Okay. The thumbnail said Avengers, and I dedicated 45 minutes of my life for my answer, so I'm giving him a whole answer. <laughs> I love it. My team is Iron Man, Money and Innovation, Wolverine, he's a warrior that can't die, Namor because of his aquatic abilities, and then you would help control 71% of the planet, Vision because he controls an infinity stone and extreme intelligence, <laughs> Thor, he's a god, Doctor Strange, Time Stone, Sorcerer Skills, Deadpool, can't die, almost as funny as me and Ghost Rider because he's essentially immortal and can sense evil. If I only have to pick one, it's Doctor Strange, Time Stone. I can screw up as many times as I want, rewind, do it again, and I'm good. Doctor that Strange. is the single-handed best answer I have seen on this program right now. I'm actually going to vote for RJ. You said what? <laughs> I'm going to vote for RJ. That was amazing. That was amazing. That was, that was really good. Preparation is important. Listen, my, my vote right now is for RJ because I, I don't I haven't watched any of these Avengers this <laughs> and Avengers that. I hear it's pretty cool and whatnot. Uh, but I, I like I like dedication. What I what I see here 
is RJ spent 45 minutes of his life instead of calling all these 50 states, you know, he stopped for <laughs> one second and he researched and watched all the Avengers movies and fast forward on YouTube. He made all these notes and came up with this thought. That, I mean, it just I mean, what a monologue, man. I mean, just so beautifully put. I, you know, my answer would have been very similar to Eric Brewer's answer. You know, I picked the Hulk because I think business is cutthroat. And I think sometimes when people piss you off, you got to knock some stuff over to get things done. Uh, but, you know, shout out to RJ and all. I don't know what he's talking about right now. <laughs> I don't even know well, if people are even Avengers. He needs a time stone to get all that time back that he wasted. So, Jesus. Uh, so I, I guess know. this is, again, a challenge that we have as an organization. It was not effectively communicated. So we were supposed to pick one of three, right? Uh, Captain America for leadership, uh, Thor for closer, or uh, uh, Iron Man for systems and processes. And when I'm talking about execution, it was he built a core in a cave, Eric. Like, he needed to survive, and he executed. That's what we were going with this. Wasn't he in a mansion? Oh, you're talking about when he started. Okay, I get it. Um, Steve, you're yeah, I just I missed the cliff notes, dude. I didn't see it. No, it's, it's, not, it's not you. It's, it's on me. It's our organization. So I, I want to say you're this. This is going to be the biggest or largest discrepancy, I should say, in voting. Uh if you guys have any last second thoughts, go ahead. But it looks like this one's going to be settled. So I need a time stone. Let's see. Let's see. It, let's see. It, let's see. It. So it, right now, I mean, the voting's only been open for a minute, but I don't think we need much more than a minute because with seventy percent right now, we have R.J. Bates. Um, I would like to pay, uh, point your. If attention. CJ gets a vote, we're we're, we're canceling the show. What's going on here? <laughs> what I would like to do is point your attention to uh, the 20%. panel right now because it looks like we have an appearance from Thanos himself. The similarities are there. I see it for sure. I don't know if you guys can see it yet, but the viewers at home, we might have to open up a poll and see how similar do these appearances look. Eric Brewer, Thanos. It's looking, it's looking hundred <laughs> percent. Eric Brewer. Uh, we're on to the last question of the day. This was an audience submitted question. The question that we have is which strategy is better wholetailing or novations? Let's go ahead and start with the leader, RJ Bates right now. Um, just so <laughs> I can disagree with Eric Brewer, I'm going to go with wholetailing. Um, just because I want him to really sell his course right now, just like <laughs> question. I mean, wholetailing is hands down better than novation. You would be an absolute moron to ever do a novation agreement. It's the worst strategy ever. There you go, Eric Brewer. I have teed you up. Sell yourself, baby, for the next 45 seconds if you can, Mr. Holt. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, effectively, a, a, a real novation is a wholetail without having to actually close on the property and do any work. So if you want to make wholetail profits without doing any renovations, then you should learn novations. Um, I think there's a lot of bad information or not bad, but outdated information um, from five, 10 years ago where the historical approach toward novations did include a rehab. Um, the way that I've been able to apply it since 2011 does not include any renovation. Um, which is the great thing about wholetail, right? We're not married to a wholesale number. We're cleaning it up, putting it on the MLS and making double what we would have made selling it to a cash buyer. Novations actually allow you to do the exact same thing without physically closing on the property. And there's a bigger pool of that inventory out there than there is even wholesale or wholetail. Okay, okay. Perfect timing too, 45 Thanks, seconds. RJ. <laughs> uh, Steve, let's go over to you. 
Um, I mean, I, I've had the opportunity to learn Novations directly from Eric. Um, you know, when I asked him where he learned it, wholetailing versus Novations. So Novations is wholetailing without having, without having to take the property down. So uh, the problem with wholetailing is you actually have to close on it, which means there's more risk and there's more capital in, uh, at risk. You have to be able to uh, hold the property and make monthly payments if you're doing hard money. Uh, you're just tying up more capital and you're exposed longer. So uh, Novations is wholetailing without the risk. Um, it just it just seems like a, a no-brainer if if, the, if that's the comparison. Okay, and CJ, let's close out with you. Yeah, I think um, you know, the, I mean, the commercial segments today, man, just first and foremost have been great, uh, especially this one. I, li I like this, you know, wholetailing versus novations. You know, as somebody who's done a considerable amount of wholetails, you know, I'm in the process of learning and starting to implement novations myself. I agree. 110% is the exact same thing as wholetailing, same exact opportunity uh, without the debt, without the risk. Uh, so it's definitely better, 110%. Um, guys in the back, and Steve, if you can send me the commercial rate sheet, you know, so I can go over with my team and approve the charge to a commercial, let me know. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, but but yeah, no, Novations is, is where it's at for sure. And shout out to the U fam, because I'm going to be showing y'all Novations in the future. Shout out to Eric Brewer as well. Nice. All right. Uh, I think we have to get the poll restarted. So I do apologize for the chat, but gentlemen, the floor is open. Any, uh, any last second commercials that we want to throw in there before we end up today? I think the bottom line is you, you really should probably be doing both. I mean, as much as I obviously have had success with novations, there's just some deals where it's not going to make sense. One thing that's definitely going to change, I think, is wholesaling and the, and the margins are going to be compressed from what they were the last two years, make sure you maximize the return on each and every one of those deals when you get them. Um, right now, there's some wholesalers, you know, RJ was talking about he had houses that were selling in two hours that are taking two weeks. If you can take that deal down and it requires a little bit of risk, we're in a risky business. So just make sure you understand what the actual ARV is. And instead of wholesaling it, making six grand, if you can borrow a little bit of money, list it and sell it in 90 days and make 30 grand, we work so hard for leads and deals. Figure out a way to borrow some money at a reasonable price and wholetail it, right? Like you can only do so many transactions. There's only so many deals. Make sure whether it's Novations or Wholetail or Sub Tour or whatever, maximize the opportunity on the lead um, and, 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 and get as much out of that opportunity as you can. And, and I just want to say this because I kind of joked at my answer. Um, I agree with what Eric has said. I think that uh, novation is not always going to be the answer. And I think that's going to be partially dependent upon your seller um, if they're willing to do that. And if not, that's where you you transition to the wholesale opportunity um, if the numbers can't work as a wholesale. But um, just personally for me, I haven't done very many novations, but if I were to add that to my arsenal, um, Eric would absolutely be the person that I would go to and uh, find that out. And uh, so I just wanted to give that shout out to him since we utterly decimate him on this show over and over and over again. So I just want to let y'all know. <laughs> At least you can read him while he's on the show. There was too much agreement here. I'm trying to figure out what kind of... <laughs> I want to go back to the last point, right? RJ said Wolverine. Like, Wolverine was not in the Marvel Universe. He yes, was he not... is. Yes, he is. He's an X-Men and he was an Avenger. He was not an Avenger. In, in, which, in which series was he an Avenger? <laughs> I've never, I'm, I'm not up to speed on all the avenging, but I've never seen Wolverine Chris, in an Avengers commercial. Like these guys, 
No, I haven't, I haven't watch seen it. Like he's not in the cinema. He's not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, that's a right. I, I will. Steve's, Steve's off watching <laughs> NFTs and Avengers and Whoa. Whoa, living in, in the metaverse. <laughs> Whoa, hold up. We're not talking he's about He's in there right now. Thing. That's actually not Steve. That's meta Steve. Look at the background. He's in the metaverse right now. It's his NFT. You can see it's all grainy and, and digital. First of all, Steve, you don't base who is an Avenger and who isn't based off the movies, okay? You base it off of the comic books, okay? We can't all Jeez. be comic book nerds. I mean... CJ, we have to educate him on even the freaking movies. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, I don't know who's on which team, Marvel versus Avengers, and look, I, I don't know. I'd be Thanos, though. That's who I'd be. Yeah, I, I, Thanos, when he had so I see, I see RJ got the most votes in this one, but I, I, I would probably veto him on this one, and I'll go with Thanos, a.k.a. Eric Brewer, on this last, <laughs> on this last round. Agreed. Well, the voting from the people who watch the program and those votes that count – Said 41% for RJ Bates on the last question, which would put him at four for the day and makes him this week's winner. So, RJ. <laughs> Wait, so RJ beat Eric. Vote gate is alive and well, people. <laughs> the guy that doesn't negotiate Folks, just closes. This is, this is what happens when you pay your VA $7 an hour versus four. This, this, is, what, this is what you get. As Lee All Jen for his coaching and Lee Jen for his VA services. This is great, RJ. I love what you're doing. <laughs> Any All I do is a victory speech, RJ, you'd like to give to people? <laughs> this, this is how bad the people missed me from last week. I mean, I was getting messages all last week about how bad the show was without me. I came in and I clearly just laid down the law and won utter decimation. Congratulations, CJ. Even your students converted to Titans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will be the end of the questions for this week. Uh, gentlemen, I do want to go virtual left to right, give everybody a chance to say goodbye to the viewers. Uh, we do want to thank the viewers this week. We had a record number of votes casted. So thank you guys for all the engagement. And let's go ahead and end it with uh, starting with Steve. Uh, I would say, you know, thank you everyone for, you know, watching, you know, the, entertaining us, right? While we're just talking about what we enjoy talking about. This is our passion. So I, I appreciate everyone that's watching uh, and, and, you know, supporting us. And uh, I really don't think that RJ should win this week since he said that Wolverine's an Avenger. Uh, but beyond that, I really, you know, thank you everyone for watching. <laughs> All right. And to his right, Thanos, I, I mean, Eric Brewer, <laughs> your closing thoughts, sir. Uh, yeah, man, I really enjoy this. Um, you know, I just appreciate everybody tuning in. We're obviously getting a bigger and bigger following each and every week, especially when RJ's not here. We get a ton of people to tune in. And uh, <laughs> it's just fun. I like the, the, the pressure that it puts on us. I mean, I think you tell from all of the people on here that we take this seriously. We like to have fun. But I think if you tune in here and, and you're willing to listen to what each and every person has to say, you're getting literally months, years, uh, decades of information in a one hour show. And uh, I personally like the, the fact that I've been invited to be part of it. I consider it an honor and I have a lot of fun and I, and I learn um, at the same time. So I appreciate Steve putting this together and I appreciate uh, both CJ and, and, and RJ um, contributing and making it a good time and uh, everybody that tunes in. Absolutely, absolutely. Ooh. To your point, yeah, it's free game every week, man. Free game every week. So we appreciate you guys. And it was a pleasure to be able to meet you face-to-face -face yesterday, man. So uh, thank you for your appearance this week. Let's go over to CJ. Close it out for us. 
Yeah, man. Uh, fun week again, man. I love doing this show on a weekly basis because, you know, and shout out to everybody tuning in, man. Everybody voting, everybody, you know, go share this link. Let other people know about what we're doing here because I think these conversations are really important. I think the perspectives that we're all sharing are important on a weekly basis, especially in a changing market, changing economy. Uh, but shout out to everybody watching, man, because, you know, to watch this middle of the day or, or you know, early afternoon takes some dedication, right? It takes some time out throughout the day to really set aside to get knowledge, get information, man. And that's what we're, you know, our goals are. That's what our focus is. That's why Steve put this together, was to contribute more to the real estate community in terms of knowledge, man. So excited to uh, to lose, right, today uh, so that RJ, you know, I got this thing, like I play video games, right? I don't play Marvel, but I play like NBA 2K. And I got this thing where every time, you know, once in a while, I got to let somebody else win uh, because I hate when people quit, they stop participating. So I'm glad that RJ got a victory on his way back today. See you guys next week. All right. Yeah. And, and just real quick, I am starting a GoFundMe for CJ's internet. So, like, you know, guys, <laughs> check out the link below in a little bit. Hilarious. Uh, CJ, I didn't know you were a 2K player. We're going to have to set that one up. I already had to. Let's talk. I already for had sure. to sit somebody down in the office. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that. Let's, uh, let's do it. Let's down. do it. RJ, let's go ahead. I'm sorry. Let's conclude with you. So, we'll have the champ take us out this week. Almost bypassed the champ. <laughs> no, man, I, I, I'm going to echo what everybody said. I absolutely love doing this show. Um, it's a ton of fun. And and I don't think for those of you that watch this, because I used to, to watch the show Around the Horn, which is kind of what this is based off of, and pardon the interruption, but really Around the Horn, 45 seconds is hard to get a full thought out, especially in like in depth on what we're going over. Um, and so it really <laughs> I think what you're seeing is, is we are really having to think about how do we get across our point and hit the meat and potatoes as quickly as possible for you guys. So I just absolutely love being a part of it. It's, it's fun. And the fact that Steve just lets us use our personalities, give each other a hard time. It's, it's an honor to be a part of this. So Thanks thank more you fun. for everybody for tuning in. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you guys again for all the interaction, all the engagement, the record number of votes that we received this week. We look forward to next week and seeing you all in the chat. Uh, gentlemen, you have a great week yourselves. We'll be back next Thursday at 1130-ish a.m. for part of the disruption. <laughs> <laughs> everybody take care. <laughs>